Welcome to another edition, Litigation Psychology Podcast, <clears throat> Dr. Bill Kanaski. Um, I am tired. I am tired. Wow. Got in at midnight last night from Detroit. Not going to talk too much about Detroit. The weather was bad. I'll leave it at that. Not my favorite place to be doing a mock trial, but success. Hey, that's what we're here for. My very brief rant before I bring on our, uh, our great guest today, uh, Shane O'Dell. Um, the, the reptile folks are now spraying the word that what I'm doing with witnesses is I'm teaching them how to be evasive. Okay, that's not what I teach folks. No, 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 no. I teach them how to recognize these ridiculous reptile traps. I teach the witnesses how to recognize uh, manipulation tactics. And I teach the witness how to effectively deal with those tactics. So you can call it ev evasiveness all you want. The fact of the matter is it works. And they're not happy with me. That's fine. Oh, by the way, welcome plaintiff attorneys. Welcome to our audience, number one. But number two, plaintiff attorneys, welcome getting more and more of those they email me i like that i like to diversify the audience i think that's I, th I think that's tremendous shane odell he he's he's the boss over at name and Hal in uh fort worth and um uh, shane how you doing this morning doing wonderful how are you sir i uh again a little, little bit tired but hey you know uh you know, I'm, I'm hanging in there. I, I am hanging in there. Um, I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for, for a long uh, time because uh, what you and I have been talking about behind the scenes, I think is really important. You know, we've had this theme on the podcast every so many episodes. We want to help, um, you know, younger, uh, growing uh, attorneys develop their career, um, get things figured out, get, get promoted, build a client base. Um, these are not things that are taught in law school. Uh, as you know, uh, and you've and you've and you've and you've been through a lot of this, so I'm, I'm anxious to um, to get your thoughts on this. But be before you do that, you know, introduce yourself um, to uh, to our um, to our audience. Tell us a little bit about the firm and, and the types of cases that you that you handle. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm in our Fort Worth office, name and how. Um, we handle all kinds of litigation. We also do some transactional stuff. We've got over 70 lawyers in four cities, all in Texas. Uh, do a lot of trucking, product liability, commercial litigation stuff. So um, interestingly, we, we worked together probably uh, a few times when early on in my career when I was an associate. And so we continue to work together as things have evolved and grown for me. Um, so I'm on our executive committee and uh, for the firm and um, just looking forward to helping young lawyers continue to grow and evolve and um, training them up and and trying to help our clients as best we can. Yeah, uh, um, a constant issue that has popped up, uh, and this is not just in the practice of, of law, it's across many industries, is that the younger folks don't want to work. They don't want to put in the time to get ahead. And that's been a struggle for not just law firms, but, you know, corporations um, across, across industries. I, I know you've worked your butt off uh, 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 to get, uh, to get where you're at. And, and I think that's, um, that's, I think that's awesome. 
Um, but I also think, uh, like I said before, um, a lot of things about career development, uh, I imagine I'm not getting taught uh, in law school, you kind of have to have to learn as you go. Can you talk to us a little bit about kind of maybe the early years uh, at the firm, some of the challenges that you faced and some of the things you did uh, to get where you are today that, that maybe others um, didn't do, but were uh, surely a benefit to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, starting out, I always had the entrepreneurial approach and tried to uh, reach out and make connections and get people to, uh, to send me cases and realized as a young lawyer, that's a, that's a difficult task. Uh, when your title is associate, when you don't have the skins on the wall, when you haven't tried cases and you, ha you haven't done that many um, depositions, you haven't attended mediation, the experience factor and the gray hair is kind of lacking. And, and for yeah. whatever reason, people tend to trust gray hair more. And that a lot of times comes with experience. But what I figured out is you just have to hit the pavement running and you got to go hard. You have to meet people. And I learned very early that you don't meet people and ask them to send you cases. <laughs> you don't just walk up to them and say, hey, I hear you work for such and such company and I'd love to do your work. Um, you develop relationships and over time, those turn into real trust relationships. And when they trust you and you, they know you and they like you, um, it turns into a, a long-term client relationship and, but a friendship more than anything else. Yeah. I think that's developing relationships um, is key. I know when I was younger, um, I've made every mistake possible. And that was the one I was a little over and over enthusiastic. And uh, yeah, it could be a, it could be, it could be a turnoff if you're, if you're too aggressive. And I think developing that trust, um, you know, over time is, is, is certainly important. Can you talk a little a bit about um, networking and, and how to get your name? I, I think things like LinkedIn have been very helpful, but I think it's got to go, beyond that, whether it be, uh, um, you know, writing or, 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 you know, getting involved at, at conferences, what are some of the things that you've done in the past and, and you, and, and you're trying to, you know, mentor your, your younger folks with? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great, uh, topic. What can you do? Um, and one thing just to backtrack on your prior question, um, building a book of business is, um, is always a goal. Right. Um, yeah. We reach out and, and just because you get to that to a certain level, you are, you're always going to want to continue to push. Um, but I think what people fail to realize in two things, one, the journey that you're on and building the book of business may be more important than the book itself. Um, and certainly the relationships and friendships you build with people along the way are far more fulfilling at the end of the day than the than any book, whether successful or not. Um, I heard you in your in your last podcast say, you know, if you bat 300, if you get three out of 10 hits, you're going Hall to the fame. Hall, of fame. Hall of Fame, baby. And you have to <laughs> be willing to hear no a lot. Um, yeah. And so if you if all you do is go out and try to build your book of business um, and all you do is ask people to send you cases and all you hear is no, uh, then you're going to feel like a failure and out on an island. Mm -hmm. So. If you build those relationships and you have a network of people that you can rely on and talk to and learn from and listen, do a lot more listening than talking, <laughs> uh, then, then you will be more fulfilled. And, and the, the book, the work will come 
with that. Um, yeah, I think listening more than talking, particularly early on, is is a is, is is difficult. But I think I think you're right. I think is I think it's I think it's very um, I think it's very important. But you still have to be enthusiastic at the same time. So I think it's definitely um, a, a balancing act. Um, talk to me about kind of two things, because again, kind of where you're at right now. And again, you and I have been texting back and forth all week. You're kind of in this kind of in the middle, right? You were the young guy. Okay. And now you're, <laughs> now you got over the hump and I'm not saying you're the old guy. Now I do notice a little gray in your beard, by the way, just want to, just want to throw that out there. Uh, our listeners can't see that, but you know, everybody on YouTube uh, or on our website um, uh, can, but how you used um, and maybe even sought out mentorship as a younger attorney and how that works. And then in turn, what you are doing now to the folks below you to provide the same. Yeah. So I'd like to pick people's brains. I like to ask them a lot of questions and get them talking about what they do. And I have come across some fantastic examples around the country. Um, in fact, have a group of friends from DRI that have, poured into me, that have shared with me, that have told me what they've tried. Um, and I can say, hey, we're trying this. What do you guys think? And they said, oh, that's a wonderful idea. Or uh, we tried that 10 years ago and maybe it'll work for you, but it didn't work for us. Um, but, you know, there's some real camaraderie and sharing amongst the defense bar that I think needs to become a more prominent aspect. Agree. Um, we need to be more organized and be more yeah. willing to share with each other. And so, you know, I, I hope to maintain that as I get, as I continue to transition into the older uh, lawyer role, but um, I try to incorporate a lot of those things internally. I think um, a lot of times young associates or younger lawyers look internally in their own firm. And I think there's a wonderful opportunity there. I'm, I have a lot of partners that have, have done a lot of wonderful things, are very successful, served in prominent roles and leadership, uh, tried a lot of cases, have really walked the path. Um, but I think that younger lawyers sometimes think that's the only place to go to get mentorship or to ask questions, and they need to reach out externally as well as internally. Um, so I talked, I, I got off the phone with Mike Bassett, our very good friend, who's right down the street from you in Dallas, and he's been on the podcast several times. I've been on his podcast several times. And I told him you're coming on. And he said, I told him you're coming on. He's like, I love Shane. Shane's a good guy. He's like, you got you to surprise Shane with the question that he's not going to be ready for. So <laughs> question is, he goes, you got to ask Shane about the time that out of the blue, you called Mike Bassett just to get his ear for an hour to ask questions, which is so smart. And I, and, and again, I think most of the, you know, you maybe you stay within your firm and you ask the people uh, uh, above you, but I think it's smart to get other perspectives. And, and he said, you picked up the phone and you guys talked for an hour and you asked him key questions and he was more than open and willing uh, to talk to you. Tell us about that conversation and, and why you picked up that phone. Cause I don't think enough people do that. Yeah. Mike is actually one of the examples that I was thinking of when we're talking about reaching out externally. Um, he's a, he's a fantastic lawyer. Yes. Um, he's a great mediator. Uh, he's very effective in everything that he does. He, he's built his firm over in Dallas into yeah. a real success story. And he's constantly utilizing younger lawyers and teaching them and training them. And that's, that's the business model. And that's, that's really my passion. 
And so I yeah. hope that I could derive something from him that he would share. And he was not open. I mean, he just opened the doors. He was oh, yeah. not limited in any way, shape, or form. Oh, yeah. In fact, he sent me some of the stuff that they use to help train their lawyers, talked about structure and how often they do certain things and training. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've taken some of those and implemented those, um, you know, we were, we were texting back and forth this week about checklists and workflows, and you can ask uh, my associates here. I'm, I'm an anti-checklist person, uh, -huh. uh, for, for one reason, I feel like, um, young lawyers, especially with their lack of perspective on, on the cases tend yeah. to look at it as a Lego instruction manual. <laughs> Ikea. Ikea. Yeah. You yeah. have to do step one before you can do step two. And if you don't do it in this order, then you're going to come out with something that doesn't look like a race car or a dresser or a bed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I really have emphasized to them the case creates the checklist. Yeah. We look at the case and you look at all the possible options that you have for the case and you start picking and pulling things. And you can have a checklist, but just because you have them in an order, it's kind of like some of the reptile stuff that uh, we hear in deposition. Well, you ordered what you're supposed to do post-accident. You called it one, two, three, four, five in your handbook. So you have to do it in that order. Well, yeah. no, that's not true. If we call them bullet points and we're going to check them off as we go and you do all five of them, great. So, you know, I go back to it depends on the circumstances. My favorite. <laughs> when it my, comes to checklist. <laughs> my, my, my favorite answer, right? Right. Um, how okay so we've talked about this several times in the podcast and it's it's a plague uh at this point um what's your personal philosophy maybe even the firms um how do you keep young talent because man these these associates are bouncing around like jackrabbits from firm to firm and i think you know I, I, we just talked about some of the things you got to do which by the way i covered on the last podcast you're not getting paid to write an article or to go do a speech. I mean, this is beyond, you know, you got these, this billable hour thing is uh, kind of what runs everybody's lives. Um, and so this requires some extra work. And I think a lot of young attorneys may experience failure early and then bail, right? I want to go someplace where I don't, I, I don't, I don't have to do that. What, what's your personal, maybe even the firm's philosophy on not just acquiring talent, but, but how, how do you keep them? How do you give them, not necessarily a pot of gold at the at the end of the rainbow, but at least a a, a path that's very well lit where where they can feel good about staying versus this jackrabbit thing of of hopping around that we've been seeing so much lately. Because it's it's killing it's killing defense firms, absolutely killing the ask Bassett about this. It's so hard to keep these folks. Have you dealt with that issue? And what are some of your ideas on it? Yeah, that is that is a, a real issue, especially uh, when you're identifying good talent. Yeah, you find really good associates, they're going to be contacted frequently about other opportunities. So at, at one point, uh, it's frustrating if you lose people, if they're being picked off or recruited away from you. Um, at the same time, it, it kind of bolsters uh, your approach to hiring in that you're you're finding people that are attractive to other firms so you're doing something right yeah um, but how do you keep them how do you keep them from leaving and you know my biggest thing is transparency i want them to know how they're doing at any point in time i want them to ask questions i want them to know where they are in in the process what i expect them to do 
um, what is expected of me. Uh, we have one-on-ones uh, where they can come in and ask any question they want. It can be case-related, it can be practice-related. I wanna give them opportunities to go and do and get tangible experience because ultimately, I don't wanna hire a bunch of associates here. I wanna hire future partners. Yeah. They can go out and get business and they have the experience that we've allowed them to cultivate and we've we've gotten them in a place where where people will trust them and send them cases, then that's great. But the number one most important thing to me and the the only way I've been able to to maintain and we've lost associates too. I mean, I'm not saying that we have a hundred percent retention at all, but we have been able to keep some really good people around um, because of relationships. We emphasize the team. Yeah. Everybody on the team may play a different position, but you saw it, the Eagles Cowboys game Sunday night, Lane Johnson goes out from right tackle and all of a sudden Micah Parsons is taking the game over because Lane Johnson's not in there. Well, Jalen yeah. Hurts is still there and everybody else on that offense was still there. Um, but you lose Lane Johnson and all of a sudden the game has changes its complexity. Well, that's the same thing here. You've got legal assistants, they play certain roles paralegals, everybody's on the team, associates, and they all play a very specific role uh, and they all have a different position, but they're all equally important. How do you communicate? um, Because I I think a huge problem, again, not just in the legal industry, but across the board, particularly post-COVID, a lot of people working remotely. How do you communicate with staff, associates effectively as we approach 2000? 23 because uh the one thing with this particular kind of newer generation in the in the workforce um is i mean i grew up old school i'm a gen xer and i mean i you know when my when my little league you know pop warner football team when we lost the championship game i didn't get a trophy okay i did not get a trophy i got a big can of you know what from my dad and our coaches and um, now people don't take constructive criticism particularly well. Um, and that I think it's a huge part of development to, to be able to pull somebody aside and say, hey, yeah, you really sucked today, right? Like go Nick Saban on him. Nick Saban's not pulling any punches. I'll tell you that right now. He's not yeah. giving any second place you know, trophies uh, in the Alabama locker room after that last week. God, would you imagine being in that locker room? Good God, I, I don't know if you need a, an ambulance or a priest or whatever you need in the Nick Saban locker room, but he's, he's, he's laying down the law. H- how do you do that in a law firm, understanding the differences in this generation and their, let's just call them sensitivities, right? Versus you got a job to do and they need to get the feedback to grow. Yeah, so... That's a, that's a great question. One, um, one thing that I think is becoming a little bit of a problem is I think some firms are so afraid to lose people that they're not providing the constructive criticism that is needed to develop the associates. Yeah. And so I will, I will sell that as a positive, um, when we interview someone and I'll say, look, you're going to hear from me good, bad, or otherwise. You're going to hear from me. And if, if it's tough news, it's going to be tough news, but I'd rather us handle it. And then we move forward. You learn from it and we don't make the mistake again. Listen, uh, I, I tell you what's happening, Shane. Okay. And you know, me and my sports analogies, here's what you have. And here's what you have in the legal industry right now. 
you've got the transfer portal, right? You can't, you know, guy drops a ball, right? And you, you take him out of the game and you rip him on the sideline. Well, he's in the portal in two weeks. Like, I ain't dealing with this. You know, I'll, I'll transfer from Baylor and I'll go to Oklahoma State. Screw you, right? I mean, that's what you're dealing with. And I think it's a, I think you're right. You have to be careful, but yet you have to also, and, and maybe, I don't know, in your hiring process, is that something that you cover to kind of get these new folks up to speed? Like, you know, our job is to communicate with you. And part of that's going to be critical. Now, granted, you got to reward them and you got to give them all the positive feedback too. But do you do things early on to kind of get them to get them ready for that? Yeah, absolutely. You start from day one at, in the interview process. I, mean, I don't want anyone joining our firm under any false pretenses because yeah. that only sets everyone up for disappointment. And then they are going to hit the transfer portal yeah. before game two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that doesn't do anybody any good. Uh, no. So I'm very upfront about our training and the, and how we do that. I think the transparency and the relationship building and actually listening to them, hearing what's important to them and wanting to be in a trust relationship with our associates and other employees um, is important because they know whenever I come to them with some constructive criticism, it's, it's more of a, like your parent is getting onto you. You yeah. know, at the end of the day, they, they appreciate what's going on. They, they're there for you. They're supportive. They're not telling you that you're not doing anything of benefit, yeah. but they know that you're actually giving them this criticism for their own benefit, for their future uh, progress. Yeah. And it's the same thing that I mean, this is all human behavior. This is all psychology. This is emotion. You know, we, and you and I have done, you and I have worked a lot together and you and I have had to tell some pretty important people, i.e. witnesses that you suck today <laughs> and here's why, and you may not like it, but that answer sucked and you're going to have to suck it up buttercup and get better. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't come across, you know, the right way, but it's so it's, I think it's so crucial. So I think it's all a balancing act. Um, you know, effective communication, getting their feedback. I don't believe in sugarcoating things. I, I believe in being, you know, being very direct. And, and if, if some folks can't handle that, maybe they're not a good, a good fit for the firm. Right. Right. And sometimes, you know, direct communication, you're, uh, the other side's not going to sugarcoat anything for you. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to, yeah. I'll tell you that much right now. Yeah. <laughs> you live in an adversarial world. You've got to be ready to, to hear hard things and bad news. You know, one thing you said earlier about, um, teaching witnesses to be evasive. Um, I, I find that no. to be kind of interesting, yeah. uh, interesting take on it. The yeah. way I've always couched it is we're teaching witnesses, um, how to make sure they're telling the truth at all times. Effectively and not getting duped, cajoled, manipulated, right. which by the way, that's, that's reptile one-on-one. Right. And, yeah. and, and so, yeah. So I, uh, tell, yeah, all the plant fraternities out there, nice try, nice try. But when you're asking these really highly inappropriate questions on a script, by the way, to lure them in, I mean, come on, we've been over this before Shane important question because this is another struggle that I hear from partners all the time and they beat their head against the wall they pull their hair out they say I'm trying to develop my young attorneys and my clients won't let me they won't let me bill them out they won't let me add them on to a case and that's a that's a big problem in the industry, isn't it? And, and how, how have you dealt with that and maybe how do you communicate to your clients to say, 
yeah, it's going to come at an extra cost, but look at the future benefit to you as the client to have our team grow. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that comes with setting expectations early and communicating. Um, and I, I'm lucky, uh, fortunate and blessed to have clients that understand that, um, you know, as the as the defense bar and as the attorneys in general age, they need someone else to be able to step in and do the things that that these guys were doing. You know, if you had somebody doing your work for 40 years um, and they retire. Yeah. I, now I don't what? know where you go if they did all of it at all the all the time. So um, I think the communication and setting the expectation and, and having them involved in the process. To what extent do you want associates involved? How much can I have my young lawyers do? Where's your comfort level in terms of allowing them to do certain things? And that way, um, when they hear that your associate did this, that, and the other, it falls yeah. right in line with what their expectation is. And as they build that trust and as they see good work repeated over and over again, that bar will continue to raise where the, their threshold for allowing them to do certain things will continue to push up. Agree. Um, Shane, uh, do you have children? I do. How old are they? 11, nine and six. God help you. God help you. How do you, how do you, how about some guidance on handle to handle the work life balance? Um, it gets really difficult, particularly this time of year. Oh my gosh. The, the fall's always the worst. Um, how do you do that and, and not make yourself, I trust me, I've missed many of little league games and basketball games because of this job. And boy, I kick myself sometimes. I try to make up for it in different situations. Kind of what's your personal philosophy on, on how to deal with that? Cause man, that, that sucks. Sometimes if you, if you ever want to feel shitty, let down your kid. That'll, that, that's a, that's a kick in the balls. Yeah. That's, that's not a good feeling at all. Yeah. My, my thing is, is and my wife really is, is key in this because she helps me maintain perspective on what's important. Right. Yeah. So our, our eight-year-old just turned nine in September and I kind of moped around for about half the day. And she's like, <laughs> what is wrong with you? And I said, we're halfway, we're halfway to adulthood with him. <laughs> I know we've done enough where he, he's 50% done. What are we going to do? Um, but you know, the real, the biggest thing yeah. I could say is, you know, being in a profession that you get paid for your time. Yeah. And the only thing your kids really want or care about is your time. Yep. That's a, yeah. a direct conflict. Yep. But the best thing you can do is when you're there, you have to be there 100%. Put the phone down. Put the phone down. Be invested and let them know that you care, that you're there and you're supportive. And, you know, they understand um, a little bit of, forgiveness goes a long way when dad is in trial or dad's out of town and can't make it to something. But um, that's the biggest thing is whatever you do, make sure you're, you've invested quality time in making sure that they understand that they're the number one priority at that point. Yeah. And, and the next like five to seven years for you. Oh man. You're <laughs> oh boy. You've got you've got a heck of a, so my, I tell you a story. So my 14 year old uh, son, he's, he's my younger son. He, he, he comes in and he's like, uh, dad, can you take me to the store? Like the store? Yeah, can you take me to the store? I'm like, well, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Walgreens, grocery? Like, where, where do you want to go? Wait, need shoes? Whatever. Well, I want to go to the mall. 
okay, well, like, what do you need? It's not important. I'm gone. Come on. Like, I'm not just taking them all. Like, what do you, what do you need? And he kind of rolls his eyes. Like, I want some cologne. <laughs> I went, I went, you know, I, I don't really wear cologne at this point. I'm like, I, I can, you know, I think I have some cologne I could dig. Oh no, 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 no. And he said he went on YouTube. He's found this dude on YouTube or TikTok. Just breaking down all these different types, you know, some that's sweet, some it's this, some it's that. And he, he has this cologne picked out and I'm going, Oh God, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. I mean, you know, at least at 14, you know, I, at the first thing going through my mind, I'm like, don't be asking me for condoms at 14. And I, I do not do no, 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 no. And do not talk to your mother about like, I'm glad you came to me, but cologne. So yeah, I took them and you know, he, the, the kids got cologne. So that's one go. of many issues I'm, I'm going to deal with. So you'll be, you'll be dealing with that soon. That's funny. The, At least worried about his personal hygiene and how others uh, smell him. Yes. Unlike, <laughs> unlike my 21 year old, I can smell him. I can smell him from about a hundred yards away right now. They took, I, I think, you know, this, he, he took over my man cave and I had to move my podcast studio and um he's this it's like a, a again it's like it, it smells it smells and it looks like a a, a dirty men's locker room over there <laughs> nice this is not good all right well let, let's end this podcast on some you know the most important uh points um this season uh, and we're gonna go two areas with this uh shane and again this is this is the most important part of the podcast um the college football season this year by far and if you disagree, go ahead, has been the nuttiest, craziest thing from week to week. I, I try to read like Saturday college football is supposed to be my relaxation day. I need to be on blood pressure medication. I, it's like, good God, it starts at noon and then till midnight, nothing but craziness. Right. So I want you to give me the because uh, it is early, but, you know, things are playing out here. I want you to give me your your four team college football play. Okay, so it's it it is uh it's October twenty is our recording. We'll release this in a couple of weeks. We'll back and see you. I want you, and I'm gonna give you a little time here. I'm letting you. I'm maximizing your cognition, Shane. There you go. We're college football picks because 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 I got some thoughts on this on who's gonna be in this and who who knows how long we'll have the four team playoff anymore. But your four teams, because a lot of big game. Yeah, you still got Michigan, Ohio State coming up. You got a lot of things in the SEC playing out. You got a boy. Uh, you know, USC had it going on till they till they shit the bed Saturday night. A lot of things going on. When it's all said and done, who are the four teams playing for for the championship here? Oh man, that's tough. We still have so much left. Uh, all of the head to head battles. Yeah conference championship games i mean you've got sec three sec teams in the top six yeah and i i saw something yesterday i think that showed how three acc teams all have a shot yeah um at getting into the college football playoffs so there's going to be a lot of turmoil over the next few weeks um i think that you're going to see um Boy, Tennessee looked looked pretty good, but Alabama hung right there with them. What a crazy game. A wild. crazy game. I was going insane during that game. Man. Watch the field goal go through, and the ball is spinning sideways, and you're thinking, what in the world happened? Worst there? field goal attempt, worst highlight in, in history. He knuckleballed it through, and the moment it left his foot, I'm like, that's short, it's short, it's short. 
Oh my God. So apparently a guy, Alabama got a hand on it and maybe that's what caused it oh. to sideways like that, but not enough of a hand to, to not make it uh, come up short, but you know, Tennessee looked really good and they've got Hayden hooker that uh, the quarterback. Yeah. He, he's a stud, man. He's a difference maker. Yes, he is. I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of as a dark horse candidate and uh, make it through, beat Georgia, and end up in the SEC championship game. And it may be a situation where if you, you might have a you might have two whoever plays in the SEC championship game every both year. Of those teams may make it every every year. Every year. The part is you may have a team that has one loss that deserves to make it from the SEC that doesn't play in the championship game. It's it's insane. It's insane right now. I mean, they're just loading the top 10 right now. It's, I don't know. Okay, give me, give me your four. Who you got? All right. I'm going to go um, Ohio State. I'll say Tennessee makes it in there. Um, and I think Alabama will figure it out because, like you said, um, Nick Saban isn't handing out any participation awards. Oh, no. no, 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 no. No, he's not. I think you'll see them bounce back pretty significantly. And for the fourth team, you know, I wasn't big on this team at the beginning of the year, but I think they've got it figured out and they have a fantastic coach, lots of talent. I think Clemson's going to sneak in there at the four spot. Okay. I, I fully, I, I fully respected your picks up until that point. <laughs> Clemson, Clemson is, boy, I'm, I'm really, I'm going to get so butchered for this. Oh God. But uh, my heart, this is my heart, not my brain. Um, I think the Tar Heels are, are going to take down Clemson and Charlotte on December 5th, I think. Um, I that would make things interesting. That'd make things very interesting. I'm kind, of, uh, I, I'm kind of just rooting for more chaos at this point. I, are you, I think you're going to get uh, chaos. Um, okay, I got your picks written down. Here's where I'm going. Um, Ohio State is very, very pissed off from last year. And they keep their mouth shut this year. And they're just steamrolling. It's going to be ugly. I, I think they're going to... I think they're going to humiliate Michigan this year after losing. No, no, no. They are not happy. And I think they're just going to run away with this. And I think that's your number one seed. So I think we're on the same page there. I also agree whether they're the two seed or they drop down to the four because they lose in the SEC championship. I really like Tennessee. I really like Tennessee. Um, if you saw, they tore down the goalpost. They threw them in the river. I don't understand this. I'm not going to pick on the <laughs> intellect of Tennessee grads, fans, students, but to tear down the goalpost and then you throw them in the river, kind of didn't see that coming. Not really sure kind of where that gets you. So but I have OSU in Tennessee. They were, they were smart enough to start a GoFundMe page to uh, get the goalpost put back. Yeah, up. by the way, th their, their annual revenue at the University of Tennessee Athletic Department, $93 million, and they start a GoFundMe page. Screw you, Tennessee. No, you pay for it, and uh, you deserve it, right? And just pay the pay the buck 50 to, to get those things back up there. Um, Georgia's been quiet. Georgia's bouncing back from this, okay? They're going to figure it out, and I, I've got Bama out. I got, I got Bama out. I don't think... Uh, that the offense of that Bama quarterback's been taking a beating, an epic beating every week, and I love that quarterback. I think the O line, and by the way, Alabama and the Tennessee get ready for this. Fifteen penalties. You want to piss off Nick Saban? Fifteen penalties. Not penalty. going to happen. I got Georgia. Uh, so my two SECs are Tennessee and Georgia, and I have Clemson out. And I'm going to throw a real, real curveball in here. 
And I'm going to do this for my assistant, Lori, who's my work wife, my best friend. This is going to rub you the wrong way for sure. TCU is going to sneak in. I took, come on, we mean, they just had an epic win against Oklahoma State in, was it double overtime? Come on. Oh, it was a good, it was a good game, but you know, I went to Baylor, so I can't openly cheer for TCU. I am in Fort Worth, so, you know, there's some great things and TCU is a great program and Sonny Dykes definitely has them playing at a very high level. Max Duggan, that quarterback, looks like he's had a yeah. career revitalization with Sonny over there. They are they are playing really good football. They were right dead in the water in the first half at home against Oklahoma State. But here's the thing. I think to go all the way, or at least to get in the play, you have to have that one game you should lose and you somehow pull it out. TCU's done that. That's my that that that's my pick. I, you know, I don't, I don't <laughs> disagree with the quality of the pick. I just can't do it. <laughs> well, we, we, we will see. We'll be talking. We may have to adjust these picks as uh, was by um, Shane Odell. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was fantastic. Great information for law firms, for young attorneys and for guys like you. We certainly want to have you uh, back on because I think we want to do a panel uh, to discuss these. Maybe you bring Bassett on with you. That would be That'd nice. Be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Hey, one thing yeah. you talked about in your prior um, episode, just the previous episode about publication. So I'm yes. the editor of the DRI trucking publications. And so anybody has article ideas or they want to get published in, yeah. in DRI, we've got opportunities galore. So reach out, contact me, um, and we'll see how we can get you an opportunity to, to be published. Because I, I agree with you. I think that is a, a real genuine way yes. to uh, set yourself apart and and give you the appearance that you're an expert in your field Agreed. is to publish some of these you know um organizations so absolutely shinodell thank you to our audience members including plaintiff attorneys hey we love you uh thank you so much for participating in this week's edition of the litigation psychology podcast see you next time